here at All Week Long, my office is right next to the sanctuary. So if you hear me humming in the wild in a few months from now, there's a good reason for that. But boys and girls, great job with your scripture memory. Great job with knowing what it was all about and listening so well and singing for us. We are so thankful for that and so thankful for a great week. Thank you, Molly, for all you did to all the volunteers to make Vacation Bible School such a great week for us. Won't you find your copy of God's Word, Psalm number one? Sounds strange, doesn't it? After 50 weeks in Ephesians and 58 weeks in John, before that, we're now in the book of Psalms. So find Psalm chapter 1 this morning. So why the Psalms and and why now? There's three reasons why I really want us to look at the Psalms as we get into this study. The first reason is because the Psalms help us know God for who He really is. The Psalms help us know God for who He really is. Over the course of the 150 Psalms, you see all of the attributes of God, all of his characteristics. You see the love of God and you see the holiness of God. You see the mercy of God and the justice of God. You see the grace of God and the wrath of God. You see the faithfulness of God and you see God's power. You see all the totality of who God is and all of his revelation of his character and his attributes. We go to the Psalms to see God for who he really is. Second of all, we're doing the Psalms because the Psalms help us know how to approach God. The Psalms help us know how to approach God. The Psalms is a very unique book because it's God's inspired words to us. It also records to us people's words back to God. It's the people of the Old Testament, that God's covenant people responding to God. So we can see their words to Him. And so we learn how to approach God. We learn how to worship God. We learn how to repent of our sins. We learn how to talk to God in the midst of our sufferings and trials and hardships of this life. We learn how to praise God. We learn how to respond in faith in good times and bad. So the Psalms help us know how to approach God. But the third reason why I want us to go to the Psalms is because the Psalms help us value the Old Testament. The Psalms help us value the Old Testament. So much of our devotional life, so much of what churches do today is all in the New Testament, and we often neglect our own peril, the revelation of God in the Old Testament before Christ came. Yeah, we know all of Scripture is breathed out by God. It's all God's inspiration to us. And there's much for us to learn. And the Psalms dive us deep into the Old Testament, into the history of what God's done among His people and how His people have responded and what they've learned about God. And so it's a great starting point for us to go back into the Old Testament and value God's revelation there. With that said, friends, our journey through Psalms is going to be very different than our journey through Ephesians. Ephesians had one author and one style and one theme. And that's not what the Psalms are. The Psalms is a collection of writings. So you have many authors. You have Psalms from King David, Psalms from Asaph, a Psalm from Moses, from Solomon, and many others. So you have different people writing the Psalms. But it's not just one style. When we worked through Ephesians over those 50 weeks, there was one style. You had this kind of logical argument that Paul built over all the six chapters of Ephesians that took us a year to work through. It's going to be very different as we go through the Psalms. We'll have Psalms that are praises to God, Psalms that teach wisdom. Psalms that record history for us. Psalms of people crying to God in their suffering. Psalms of people longing for the Messiah to come. Even psalms where people are wishing destruction on their enemy. And what are we going to do with that? We'll talk about that as well. There's such a variety of styles in there. Now, when the psalms were put together, they did not organize them by groups. Now, my type A personality wishes they had. It had been really nice if book one of the psalms were the praises, book two were the people crying out suffering, book three was repentance, and book four was wisdom, and book five was the messianic psalms. But that's not how they're organized. They're just a collection of all 
put together and not organized in groups. So over the next 27 weeks, we're going to try to look at them in some groupings. If you want to know where we're going with that, you should have gotten an email about that. If not, you can go to the church website, uh, gatewaybaptist.com, and there's a blog post on there of our schedule now through December. And we're going to look at them in themes to help us get the big picture of what God's teaching us about wisdom or about suffering or about his glory among the nations or how we repent or how we praise him or the coming of the Messiah. Now, for these first three weeks, we're going to begin with Psalm 1 today, Psalm 3 next week, and then Psalm 8, because I want us to see just a variety of the emotions expressed in the Psalms. We're going to look at a psalm today of wisdom, we're going to look at a song of lament, of suffering, and we're going to look at a psalm of praise to God over these first three weeks, just to kind of give us a taste before we go into themes of psalms, to see what God is showing us in this. So today, find Psalm 1, that's where we're going to begin. With Psalm 1, when it was placed in the Bible here, the scholars who study the Psalms say it was intentionally put here to be an introduction to the whole book. Why? Because it's what we call a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm that's designed to teach us who God is and to encourage us to pursue God. It's an invitation, if you will, to pursue God. But this, this is an incredibly vivid wisdom psalm. And so it got intentionally placed here to become an introduction to all that we will see in the whole book. As we come to Psalm number 1 and we look at it this morning, what I want you to see is how it holds up the grace of God. I've heard this psalm taught many times, and unfortunately it's often taught very wrongly and very poorly. It's often taught in a very legalistic manner. This is what you have to do to please God. That's not what this psalm was about. This is a psalm that elevates the grace of God and then calls us to respond to God's grace. So as we read Psalm 1 this morning, I want you to be looking for what are the evidences of God's grace throughout this psalm and how do we respond to it. So what are the evidences of God's grace that we see laid out in Psalm 1 and how do we respond to it? So as we read, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? What a treasure we have that He has given us His revelation to us of who He is, who we are, and His plan for our lives. Psalm chapter 1, the words will be on the screen if you want to follow on there. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your revelation to us, God, that you have shown us who you are and you've shown us what you've done for us. You've shown us your grace. Thank you for opening our eyes to the truth of who you are. God, I pray this morning as we come to Psalm 1, a familiar psalm to many of us. God, I pray you would give us fresh eyes to see your glory, your grace on display here. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and stir our hearts to where we would long to know you more because we see you for who you really are. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The one idea I want you to see out of Psalm 1 is simply this. God delights in giving us grace, and we are to delight in knowing him. I think that encapsulates the whole psalm. There's a psalm showing us that God delights in giving us grace, that God finds joy in giving grace to his people. But then it calls us not to go, that's a nice theological concept. I'm glad God gives grace. Let me move on with my life. It calls us to an invitation to respond, to ourselves respond to God's delight in giving us grace, to delight ourselves in knowing him. It's an invitation for us to respond to our creator, the great I am, the almighty one. 
God delights in giving us grace. We are to delight in knowing him. Let's start with this idea of God delighting in giving us grace. On the surface, it's easy to look at this psalm and see two groups of people, the righteous and the sinners or the wicked. And I think it's mostly about two paths. And though that's part of it, that's not the main thing this psalm was about. This psalm was all about the grace of God. It's all about God. What is grace? We talked about it two weeks ago, wrapping up Ephesians. So it's very fitting that we end Ephesians with grace and we start psalms with grace as well. Grace is God's kindness given to undeserving people. God's grace is his kindness given to undeserving people. You may be thinking, Grady, I didn't see the word grace anywhere in here. And you're right, the, the word grace is not there, but the idea is everywhere. Let's start with Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man. Now, let me just start at the beginning and remind us the word man here is used in the generic sense to mean men and women both people. And, and is included. So women, you're not off the hook on this one. This is included for you as well. This is people. So blessed is the man or woman. Blessed is the person. But notice the very first word here of all the book of Psalms is the word blessed. Some people say blessed means to be happy. Well, yes, that's part of it, but happiness is an emotion that comes and goes. What blessed here is communicating is someone's state before God. They're standing before God. They're conditioned before God. And so the very first word of all the book of Psalms is the word, is the word blessed, that people have been blessed by God. That God has chosen freely to give good things to his people, to bless them. It's out of God's initiative. It's completely undeserved. It is grace, and God delights in making his people blessed and blessing his people. But don't miss this. The word blessed here is in the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in, is plural. It's not meaning one blessing. It's meaning a multitude of blessings here. That there are many, many, many blessings that come from God to his people. Many expressions of his grace. If you want to use the language of the Gospel of John, this would be his grace upon grace. His blessings upon blessings to people who are undeserving. So just realize at the outset that the very first word of the book of Psalms is not about us. It's all about God and what God in his grace has chosen to do. To give undeserving people like us his blessings. Now what does that grace and what does that blessing look like? Well, Paul's going to tell us, but he's not going to lay out in a nice... Or sorry, the psalmist is going to tell us, but not in an argument form like Paul did in, Psalm, or in, in Ephesians to where... I'm going to get these words mixed up for the first few sermons probably. But, but he's not going to lay it out like he did for the sixth chapter of Ephesians where he builds an argument. It's mixed into imagery. So the images of God's many blessings, his many facets of his grace are embedded into the psalms. So we kind of, kind of dig for it to look for it. I believe there's five aspects of God's grace on display in this psalm for us. Five aspects of his grace. The first one is this. That God calls us righteous. The first aspect of God's grace in the psalm is that God calls us, his children, righteous. Look at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, friends, that is absolutely stunning. Because I'm not righteous and you're not righteous. Scripture is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. None of us on our own are righteous. We are all sinners. We've all offended God. There's only one who is righteous, and that is Christ. So how can God look at us, his people who are sinners, and goes, yeah, you're, you're righteous. I know the way of the righteous. Because when Christ died, friends, not only was our sin put on Christ so we could be forgiven, but all of Christ's righteousness got put on us. We've received a righteousness not our own. The big word for that, we call that imputed righteousness. That a righteousness that is not native to us has been given to us. Christ took our sin. His righteousness got put on us. So when the Father looks at us, he no longer sees my sin or your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus 
covering us. Therefore, we can ascend the hill of the Lord. Therefore, we can be in the presence of God. Not because we've cleaned up our act, but because Christ's righteousness covers us. And when God the Father sees us, he sees Christ. Therefore, we can go into his presence without being struck down. God calls us righteous. That's the very first aspect of grace I see here. But there's a second one in the same verse, and that is that God cares for us. God cares for us. Look at verse 6 again. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows those that he has made righteous. Now, when we see the word know, it's easy to think about intellectual knowledge. But that's not what this word conveys here. In fact, some of your translations may say the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Because the word here for know in the Hebrew is a word that describes identifying with another person. It's a word that describes concern for, care for, love for another person. That God in his infinite grace not only now sees us as righteous, but he cares for us. He loves us. He cares for our needs in all of this. And he delights in doing so. So we see God's grace in making us unworthy sinners righteous, but not just stopping there, but now saying, I'm going to care for you, love you, and watch over you. That's God's grace for us. But there's a third aspect of God's grace on display in this psalm, and that is God takes away our bondage to the world. God takes away our bondage to the ways of the world, our bondage to sin. The scripture is very clear that we're slaves to our sin, that we can't help but sin. We sin because we're sinners at our core, apart from Christ. But in Christ, he takes that away from us. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So you have three images here of walking, standing, sitting. You have three descriptions of counsel, way, and seat, and three groups of people, wicked, sinners, and scoffers. Now, some people over the years have tried to make a big deal out of this as a progression of sin or a progression of ways, and that's not the case here, friends. When you read Psalms, realize this is poetry. And in poetry at the time, they used something called parallelism, where they repeat an idea several times in several different ways to make a point. So this is not a progression. This is a poetic form called parallelism, where the same idea is repeated with different words, three different ways to make a point. What Psalm 1, or what verse 1 is all about is showing us a vivid description of, of those who are apart from Christ, those who have not received God's grace, those who are not righteous in God's eyes because of what Christ has done. They can be described in terms of wicked sinners or scoffers. They can be described as people who walk, stand, and sit in their ways. Why is that here? Notice the key words, not. Bless the man who walks not in the council of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This is highlighting God's grace. When we come to faith in Christ... God takes us from darkness and brings us to light. God takes us from being sinners to now being righteous because of Christ. He takes us from loving our sin to now hating our sin and conviction that comes from him because he's freed us from that. He takes us from loving the things of the world to now loving the things of him. Friends, grace is not given so we don't go to hell. Grace is given so that we can know God and be changed by him. Verse 1 here, if you want the imagery of Ephesians, is what God in His grace puts off from our life. What God rids from our life. That God in His grace takes away our bondage to the world's ways. So in Psalm 1, we see God's grace in calling us righteous. We see God's grace in caring for us. And we see God's grace in taking away our bondage to the world's ways. There's two more here, but they're all wrapped up in one image. So let's look at this image before I tell you what the other two manifestations of God's grace are. Look at verse 3. This is an incredible image here for us. He is like a tree planted by streams of water 
that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So there's an image here of a tree, but there's something important we must not miss in this. Notice that it is a tree planted. So I have a question for you here. You can shout out all the answer. Who planted the tree where it is? Okay, you just sound very confident. Who planted the tree where it is? God, that's right. God is the one who planted it. Friends, we are not planted by our own efforts. This is the grace of God that takes a tree out of the wilderness where it's dying and plants it where he desires for it to be. It's his initiative, his work, his grace. Now, back to the image of verse 3 here. He is like a tree planted by what? What comes next? Streams of water. Now, I had the wrong image of this for a long time in my mind. Aaron, show the first image. This is what my mind for years envisioned when I read this psalm. This beautiful mountain stream like up in the Smoky Mountains where you like to go hiking and the trees all growing by the bubbling brook. That is what I thought about for years reading this psalm. But that's not the Hebrew word that's used here. The Hebrew word here for stream is a very intentional word that means an irrigation canal to take water to a dry land. So the better image, Aaron, pop the next one up, is this. The streams here is a Hebrew word for an irrigation canal that takes water to a dry area so that crops can grow. So picture an Egyptian or Middle Eastern arid land, dry and desert, and they've pulled a channel off of a river and taken it deep into the inland. And then the gardener said, I want this tree to thrive, so I'm going to stick it right by this one source of water, this one source of river, so it can grow. That is the image of God's grace that's being held up here. It's not just for some random tree that popped up along the, the stream in Gatlinburg. But we are out in the wilderness of the world, and God in his infinite grace has picked us up from our dry place where we're dying and has put us next to the irrigation canal that he has put there so that we might thrive and grow. But again, notice here in this imagery of verse 3, he is like a tree planted by a single stream of water. Streams, plural, not just one irrigation canal. And I couldn't find a picture of it. You can picture multiple irrigation canals coming together and a tree in the midst of all them thriving and growing because there's so much water coming by. That's the image the psalmist wants us to have in our mind, that God has planted us by many places of his grace flowing by us. God has intentionally rescued us, uprooted us from the desert of the world, planted us by the streams of his grace. So what does that show us about what God's grace looks like in our life? That gives us two things. So picture yourself as a tree planted by the water. What does that do? It does two things in God's grace. The number four manifestation of God's grace is God's grace now makes us steadfast. It makes us steadfast. Look back at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. We prosper. Our leaf does not wither. The psalmist here is not talking about earthly prosperity and earthly wealth. God's not concerned about us having earthly wealth, and neither is the psalmist. God's concerned about the state of our soul, and so is the psalmist. So when it says your leaf does not wither, when you prosper, it's talking about the condition of your heart, your soul, your spirit with inside of you, that even in the hardships of life, because you have God's grace pouring into you and pouring through you, you can be steadfast no matter how dry and arid your circumstances are around you, no matter how many trials you're going through, no matter what hardships you're in, not because of you, but you're steadfast because God has planted you next to the streams of his grace. Your soul can thrive regardless of your circumstances. So God's grace makes us righteous. God's grace cares for us. God's grace takes away our bondage to the world. And God's grace makes us steadfast regardless of our circumstances. So there's one last picture of God's grace in this psalm, and it's from the same image here of verse 3. And that's God's grace produces works in our lives that glorify Him. God's grace produces works in our lives that glorify Him. 
back at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. In the Bible, fruit is an image for good works that come out of our life. Evidences that we have been changed by God. Works in our life that build up others and glorify God. This is not the first time we've seen the idea of fruit in our lives. We saw it in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, to take us back to our last study. So Aaron, if you'll put up that one for us. For we are his workmanship. We who, those he's made righteous, those who've received his grace. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God's plan for our life is to plan us by these streams of water, by these streams of his grace, so that his grace now produces fruit, produces good works that build up his church, that build up other people, that take Christ to the lost and that glorify him. But we didn't just see it in Ephesians. We saw this in the gospel of John two years ago. John chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus is speaking and Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus said it in John. Paul tells us about it in Ephesians. And the psalmist here in Psalm 1 tells us the same thing, that we are to yield fruit in season, that God's grace, that when we receive it, changes us. It produces fruit, not for us, but fruit to build up God's kingdom, to glorify God, to serve others. So pull those five things together and get the picture of this. God delights in giving us grace. He delights in giving kindness to people who are undeserving. He makes us righteous in his eyes. He cares for us. He frees us from the bondage of the world. He makes us steadfast even in our trust. And then he enables us and strengthens us and calls us and drives us out to do things that benefit others and glorify him. This is all about God's grace. But you may be thinking, well, that's nice, Grady, but you skipped all the verses about judgment. Those are coming. I'm not going to skip over those. We've got to look at those. So look at verses 4 to 6. Why is this here and what is God trying to show us? Starting in Psalm 1, verse 4. The wicked are not so they like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So why didn't the psalmist just stop with this beautiful picture of a tree by an irrigation canal? Why did he go on to describe judgment that's coming? And simply this, friends, we cannot understand God's grace if we don't understand God's justice. We cannot understand God's grace if we do not understand his justice. This is one of the major flaws, weaknesses of the American church, is we've kind of designed a God of our own choosing. If you ask people to describe God, oh, God is love. And if you listen to Christian radio, that's all they talk about is God's love, God's love, God's love, God's love. And yes, we need to celebrate God's love because he's loved undeserving sinners like us, but if that's all we know of God, we're fashioning a God of our own creation. This is the beauty of the Psalms. The Psalms show us a God who is loving, but who's also wrathful. A God who is holy and just, who gives mercy, but also judges sinners. We see all of that in God's character. And if we only talk about the love of God, we end up with a culture where people go, well, I like God, but I can't follow a God who would ever judge someone or send them to hell. Friends, that's a God of our own imagination. The Bible shows us a much bigger picture of God. And so the psalmist here includes reminders of justice so we understand grace. If we don't get what we deserve, we're not going to understand the grace that's come to undeserving sinners like us. Look at verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or sins in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. God looks on humanity and sees that we're wicked, that we're sinners, that we've broken his standards, we've offended him, we've not followed him, but we've gone beyond that. We've become scoffers. We're people who reject him, who do not love him. 
But then he sees beyond those externals, and God sees our heart. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. This is another vivid image to show a person's character. We're chaff. We sin because we're sinners. We sin because our, our soul is dead to God and loves the things of the world. We're useless in our souls because we don't love God and we love the, the world instead. So what must a holy God do when he sees people who are dead in their hearts towards him, who rejected him and have broken his standards? In his holiness, he has to punish them. Because if he doesn't punish sin, he's no longer holy and he's no longer perfect and he's no longer God. And so verse 5 comes next, the natural outflow of understanding the justice of God. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Not standing in the judgment is to help us have an image of a courtroom and someone who has no defense. When all the testimony has come in, it is very clear that the person is guilty, and the judge and the jury, and everyone knows that the person is guilty, and they have nothing to stand on. There's nothing left to say. That's the picture of all of humanity standing before God. When our sins are laid bare, when our actions, our words, and even the inner sins of our thoughts and our minds and our hearts that no one else has ever seen are laid bare before a holy God. And we stand in the presence of a holy God with all of our sin laid bare and we have absolutely nothing to say because His holiness is exposed at all and we know we have no leg to stand on. Now, hard truth is there because that is what all of us deserve, friends. Romans 3.20, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, all of us start off not as good, all of us start off instead as Wicked sinners scoffers. All of us start off like chaff. That's a default position of every human on the planet. And we all deserve judgment. And we understand that now grace becomes so much more glorious. Because anything we have from God is undeserved. God didn't choose us because we were so good. God didn't choose us because we were holy. God didn't choose us because we strived hard to get to him. God looked upon us who are wicked sinners scoffers, whose souls are like chaff before him. And he goes... I'm going to choose you and I'm going to change you. And grace comes in. He chooses to take us who deserve judgment and to bless us instead. To give us his grace, his blessings, to make us righteous. To give us his grace in caring for us and sustaining us and making us fruitful. Unless we miss it, God doesn't do that begrudgingly. He delights in giving his grace to undeserving sinners, to his children. But friends, the psalm doesn't stop there. It holds up the grace of God, but this is a wisdom psalm that calls us to do something with it. It calls us to respond. How do we respond to the truth that we who deserve to be judged by God instead have been blessed by God? How do we respond to that truth? And just as he delights in giving us grace, our response is simple. We are to delight in knowing him. He delights in giving grace, and we respond and delight in knowing him. So I want you to see the invitation to us in this psalm here, to respond and delight to the God who has pursued us. Look at verse 2. But his delight, whose delight? The delight of the one who's been blessed, who's received God's grace. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Friends, what is delight? Delight is a high degree of pleasure. It's a joy that words fall short to describe. You delight in something, it's such joy to you, such enjoyment. Those who have been blessed by God, who've received his grace, find great pleasure in something and it's delighting in what? What's the next phrase there? We delight in what? The law. Wait, wait, wait. That's not what I expect there. We delight in the law. Wait, wait. God's giving me all this grace. I'm going to delight in the law. What is up with that? Well, we delight in the law because the law here refers to the instructions that come from God. It refers to his words. We delight in the word of God and God's words to us. Just as if you think about your spouse or you think about a close friend and when they call you and when you talk to them, you delight in hearing from them. 
We, as God's people who've received his grace, now delight in hearing our creator speak to us through his word. The law of the Lord now is the word of God. It's the totality of scripture, Genesis to Revelation. Friends, those who've experienced God's grace delight in hearing God's word. But that delight leads to action. Delight isn't passive here. It leads to something. Look back in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And we see the word meditate in Scripture is very different than cultural meditation. This is not Eastern meditation where you sit there and hum and try to empty your mind, okay? That's not what the Bible's talking about. When it says we meditate on something, it means to ponder, to think about, to fill your mind with something. So when the culture says meditation is emptying your mind, the Bible says meditation is filling your mind with God's words. We consider, we ponder, we think about. Friends, if you delight in something, you think about it and you talk about it, right? If you ask the kids, they delighted in Bibles this week, what would you like? They're not going to be like, no, no. They're going to start talking about it. They're going to be thinking about it. My kids are still thinking about Bible school from the past week because they delighted in it. They're still thinking about it. If we delight in something, we think about it. Therefore, if we delight in the grace of God we receive, we delight in hearing God's words, and we now think about God's words, and not just in a quiet time for 10 minutes in the morning. We delight on it here, verse 2, day and night. We meditate day and night. He's calling us to think about his words all through the day, to order the paths of our lives, to fill our minds with his word, not just in a quiet time at the end of this morning, not just with a devotional for five minutes a day, but to fill our lives with his words and think about them all the time. We run to the Bible, not out of duty or habit, because we want to know more of the God who delights in giving us his grace. Friends, God delights in giving us grace. Our response is to delight in knowing him. So to begin the Psalms, I want to end it with two questions for you this morning. Number one, are you experiencing the grace of God? I didn't ask, have you experienced the grace of God? Because following Christ is not, I prayed a prayer, I walled the Allah, joined the church, or I had an emotional high at a youth camp or a VBS a long time ago. If we know the grace of God, we continue to experience it day by day. Are you experiencing the grace of God? Are you confident today that when God sees you, he sees Christ's righteousness? Are you today experiencing God's care for you, not just on the emotional high of BBS or youth camp or when you pray to prayer, but are you experiencing God's ongoing care because he knows you and loves you? Are you finding freedom from the pull of the world? It's still a struggle. The world still tempts us. Satan still tempts us. But are you finding God freeing you from the bondage of sin in your life? Are you finding God's grace day by day, making you steadfast when you go through trials and hardships and you're steadfast, not because of you, but because of God. And you look into the day and go, I don't know how I got through that, but by the grace of God. And are you seeing fruit in your life? Are you seeing God's grace produce good works that flow from your life? Friends, are you experiencing the grace of God? If not, Psalm 1 for you is your invitation at the beginning of the book to cry out for it. You can't make yourself righteous. You can never clean up your act enough to be righteous in God's sight to get to God. But the good news is he doesn't call us to do that. He calls us to come as we are. And when we repent of our sins and we trust him as our Savior and as our Lord, he now not only forgives us our sin, he covers us with Christ's righteousness. Friends, if you do not know the grace of God on a day-by-day basis, Psalm 1 is an invitation to you to crowd and ask God to make you his child right now. But friends, if you are experiencing the grace of God, I want to ask you, are you delighting in him more and more? Are you delighting in him more and more? He's given you his grace, not so you have some nice theological concept to talk about in coffee shops with your friends. He's given you his grace so that you can know him and be known by him. So you can be in relationship 
with him and the way he's revealed himself to us in the pages of scripture. So friends, are you delighting to know God more by going back to the path he's given us, going back to his word, opening it expectantly? Friends, when was the last time we went to his word? Not out of duty, not out of habit, not to check off a box, not so we could tell our accountability group we read our Bibles each day, but when was the last time we went to the word of God hungry because we want to know more of the God who's poured out his grace in our life? And friends, when was the last time when we read the Bible that something new about God came, to, came before our eyes, that we came to a deeper understanding of his character and his grace and his kindness and what he's done because his, the words of his book to us have come alive? But I want to add one more question here to it. It wasn't in my notes, but I think it's fitting here. Friends, are we helping others find the grace of God? Because the reality is there are two paths here. There is the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers who will end up in judgment. And there's those of us who are children of God who receive grace who have been planted by streams of water. The way God today takes people from darkness to light, from being in the desert to be planted by streams of water, is he gets his word to them through his people. Friends, are there people in our path this week who are in the desert, who are, who are withering, who are not experiencing the grace of God, and God is calling us this week to go to them and plead with them to come find the grace of God? of God. Friend, God delights in giving us grace, and we are to delight in knowing him. This week, as we think about Psalm 1, let me encourage you to cry out to the Lord and ask him for more grace. It's not bad to ask for more grace. It's not selfish to ask God for more grace. It's okay for us to say, God, I've experienced your grace, and I'm saying, but give me more grace today that I might know you more. Give me more grace today that I might be steadfast. Give me more grace today, Lord, that I might bear fruit for your Lord. Give me more grace to make you known to others. It's okay to cry out for more grace. So, friends, this week, as you think about Psalm 1 and you rejoice in what God has done and planting you by streams of his grace, would you cry out for more grace? And what a great prayer to pray for one another. All this week, as God brings people to mind to say, well, would you give more grace today for this brother, this sister, this friend, that they might walk with you and experience your grace? God delights in giving us grace, and we are to delight in knowing him. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. God, we are thankful for your grace. But we had no hope of getting to you on our own. But Lord, in your kindness and your mercy, God, you looked upon wretched, undeserving sinners like us who deserve nothing but standing before you in judgment and falling. And God, you've looked upon us and you've had mercy. You've had grace. You've taken us and you've taken us who are your enemies and made us your children. You've taken us out of darkness and brought us into your light. You've taken us, and as we saw in Ephesians and we've sung about, you've given us a seat at your table. Lord, you've given us grace upon grace upon grace. Lord, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, God, that we would not take that for granted. God, we would cherish the grace that you've given to us that has made us righteous in your eyes. We cherish the grace that knows that you care for us. We cherish your grace, Lord, that walks with us through the hearts. We cherish your grace that works through us to do good for others. God, may we not take it for granted this week. But Lord, I pray as well as we think about that, we delight in God, that you would give us grace to delight in you even more. God, would you forgive us for the times we go to your word out of habits or duty? Would you forgive us for the times that we don't even open your word? Lord, when you've called us to be in relationship with you and yet we run doing our own thing, God, would you give us much grace this week to remember where you've planted us and to long to know you more, to realize the invitation we have that the great I am who spoke and spun this universe into existence, who could speak and part the sea, who could speak and heal people, who can do anything at the sound of your voice like CJ read at the beginning of service, has called to us. And may we realize 
that you've called to us and you've invited us into your presence and you've given us your word and you're calling us to say, open, read, delight in my presence. God, may we grow in doing that this week that we might know you more. Because God, you are so worthy. You're so amazing. You are so glorious. Increase our capacity to know you. God, would you increase our affections for you? Would you increase our hunger for you? Would you increase our knowledge of you? that comes through your word. And I pray as that happens, God, you'd receive great glory and we'd receive great joy as we delight in your presence. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?